the luxury that we have today is we still have these voices amongst us, right? So we can go and ask, what did you mean by this? Yes. And we're not taking advantage of that opportunity, in my opinion. Welcome back to In Session with Jared and Clay. I'm Dr. Jared Cox, and today Clay and I will be joined again by special guests Dr. Greg Harris and Chaplain Jason Darden. And today I want to take the elephant in the room, which, let's be honest, is probably in a lot of people's rooms right now, and want to set that elephant right here on the table in front of all four <laughs> of us to talk about. Because if we don't talk about it, I'm afraid lots of people are going to stop listening just as quickly as they started and that very well may be you. So here we go. You know, we all know that the movement in our country right now surrounding racism is putting a lot of pressure on white people to change. Rightfully so. White people need to change a lot. There's no getting around it. White people, even the ones who might still think they aren't part of the racism discussion, they need to change. We all need to change in big ways. But... What about the people of color? How do we talk about mutual responsibility? We said it during our previous show, we're here to build relationships. And the four of us are here to talk like friends talk and to light a fire that trades your social media conversations for face-to-face -face conversations that build relationships. And relationships, they're a two-way street. And before we go any further on this podcast, I think it's important that everyone knows that everyone's a part of the conversation. Everyone is in on the talking end. Everyone is in on the listening end. And in the words of the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. So how do we talk about mutual responsibility? That's what I want to talk about today. That's where we're going to get started. Are you ready to go? Of course. Ready. Let's go. Good to be here with you guys. Hey, your your question got me thinking about something a little, you know, a little bit different. Get us going. Just not too surprising for you guys probably, but when you talk about mutual responsibility, I mean, before we we even get into that, and it's an important thing to get into, I would like for us to at least acknowledge one of the theoretical underpinnings that drives our thinking and drives our process. And in Western civilization, we're inundated with this kind of either-or mentality. And particularly when you get into a discussion that's emotionally charged or people have, you know, strong opinions or it, it tends to funnel us in, into polarizing viewpoints. And I would offer, at least for our consideration and our discussion, that, that ideas and these problems and challenges of racism, you know, in a large way are, are kind of undergirded with that process. And very few people talk about that uh, very few people kind of acknowledge it but I, I think it's important to throw out here because as we have our discussion if i think we're being funneled in a dichotomous way or an either or way i'd like to kind of bring that up because i think that helps keep the dialogue 
going. Does that resonate or make sense? So what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Our educational system tends to present us with that method of thinking and uh, we just kind of get used to it and then and everything is going to fall on this either or and when you start talking about complex ideas you know you have to transcend that either or there there's some either ors you know that are embedded into the conversation but the whole conversation can't can't fall along those lines i think we would be doing it a disservice and i I also think we would we would stagnate and so hope hopefully you know we can we can talk about mutual responsibility in in a way that it does not sound accusatory yeah Mm -hmm. how do we have conversation and people don't automatically feel accused Mm -hmm. that idea in and of itself we might could talk an hour about and we don't we don't need to but I'm throwing that out there every every, mm-hmm. every time somebody makes a statement do you, you know do you hear an accusation right. and I don't want it to be an accusation I just want it to be a point of discussion right you know to create some some dialogue educate me if what I'm saying sounds like an accusation you know I want you to say well, you don't have to say you're accusing me, but I mean, we can bring yeah, it up yeah, some, yeah. Right. some form or fashion to keep that dialogue going. Cause I think when people feel accused, they tend to retreat yeah. and shy away from, you know, from the conversation. So anyway, I, that's probably too long winded, but that's what came to my mind initially when Jared, you asked the question about mutual responsibility. So what, what do y'all think? What do you hear? Well, I, I like, and, and I know Jason will chime in, and Jared too. I like that that statement because when you mentioned education a couple of times in that statement, and what and you know you talk about in an academic setting, what what education sometimes doesn't allow for is conversation. Mm-hmm. We're being taught something or reading something that we're being given that sometimes, especially when you're talking about historical issues can be accusatory or can make one group of people feel left out less than blamed and conversation doesn't sometimes come up so what what we are one of the things i think what we want to do is is you know not just model but but actually have true real conversation about it as as jared said everybody here's a is a is going to have input and everybody in here is also going to listen and i think that's the important thing about what you said so that it doesn't become accusatory that we are all listening to each other and to each other's viewpoints and uh, can give that input so one of my hopes is maybe with some of what we do here can start to take place in our classrooms yeah Absolutely. And our children who are already talking about it, I think better than some of us adults, that type of learning can take place. So I, I like that. I like what you what you said and what you put out there. So I've never liked bullies. And I've I've been I'm a short guy. I've been short my whole life, right? And I I've I've had to confront and face bullies my, my whole life. And the thing about bullies is they try to twist your arm to adhere to their standards, right? Mm-hmm. And I think historically in this country, the bullies have had the the biggest voice. 
You know, I think about a bunch of dichotomies. You're either for Black Lives Matter or you're with the police. You're either a Democrat or a Republican. You're either this or that, and there is no in-between. So I think this this unity idea has to start with us saying that we're not going to be bullied by the opposing forces. You know, we got an email from the Secretary of Defense not too long ago for all soldiers, and his plea was, in these crazy times, make sure you remain apolitical. You know, don't pick a side. You, you know, you, your side is justice and to serve, right? And and if we start with that paradigm, that thought that we are going to remain apolitical, we're not going to be bullied, I think then meaningful discussion and dialogue can happen, but it's hard to stand up to bullies sometimes, yes, right? Yes. So, yeah, especially if you're outnumbered. Especially if you're, if you're outnumbered. outnumbered. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that that's, that's so true. But I like that way of thinking is mm-hmm. to, to yeah. not be yeah. bullied by the prominent uh, discourse or, or the, the people who seem to be driving the narrative. Right. Right. I think the, a lot of times the people who are driving the narrative are actually in the minority. Right. In terms of, yeah. uh, of what people really think yeah. or how people really feel. And then we get into all this stuff like uh, whoever's driving the narrative and whoever's deciding to put the narrative out there, the public, the media, I guess, if you will, a lot of us feel trapped yeah. with no voice. Yeah, bullies are insecure deep down mm-hmm. inside. And a lot of bullies that I've encountered, they have felt like victims, right? And, and they have the loudest voices now because of whatever position they find themselves in. But but ult- I like what you said because ultimately mm-hmm. I think they are minority voices, but for some strange reason they have the loudest voice and they're trying to gather followers and yeah, uh, yeah. what i love about our discussion is we're we're committing to the fact that we're we're not we're, we're not buying it we're yeah. not taking the bait so yeah we don't want to do that and yeah. I, and i guess maybe fear motivates yeah of course that type of yeah response yeah. and i can understand fear and and there's legitimacy to that fear yeah, I fall back on the either or, you know, yeah. if, if I if I feel like I'm not participating in the that which is causing fear, I tend to pull back and avoid. Right. Right. And uh, we just can't avoid these conversations any longer. I mean, the time is is now and we have to we have to keep pushing, you know, this dialogue. It, it, at least that's a And fear opinion. fear can also turn into Hatred, mm-hmm. which is a dangerous thing in in, in this world, because it's it's, it's kind of already out there. Yeah, yeah, oh, no it, doubt. It, it's kind of yeah. already out there, and and um, you talk about um, that that can tear apart the unity that we are we are mm-hmm. all striving for. It reminds me again of the complexity of what of what we're talking about, this idea of racism, because there is no doubt there is a layer of racism that certain people are taught. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be taught to hate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you have to be taught, you know, to distrust yes. and, and draw lines of distinction arbitrarily, like based on the color of skin or something. That, so so there there is a level of racism that is driven by hate and mm-hmm. fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 
other levels of racism, you know, that occur that are much more subtle, you know, which maybe a majority of people just avoid or shy away from and try to convince themselves they don't participate in, you know, and maybe we're we're edging up on the idea of, of white blindness or or something yeah. like that. They just we just choose not to look at it that way, hoping it goes away or gets fixed or, or something like yeah. that. So holding that complexity again, you know, in our discussions is yeah, there there's certainly uh, elements to racism that are full of hatred yeah. and fear and malice. Right. And, but I think that's the minority. Mm -hmm. Dr. King warned against that, right? In his I Have a Dream speech, which is one of the most famous speeches of all time, he said, in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. He knew then that the pursuit of justice, which in our country has proven to often demand your life, it can easily result in hatred. I posted about this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm, you know, that's I'm a big Star Wars fan, you know, <laughs> big Star Wars fan, man. And I, you know, uh, yeah, listen, Yoda had some nice things to say. He he said, but he talked about fear turning into hatred that leads to what the dark side of. And the dark side is not about skin color here. The dark side is about evil. It's about wrong. It's about falling into a, a side where you look at people and you judge them. If they're not for you or not doing exactly what you want or if they're not like you, then you hate them. They're, they're evil. They're different. And we don't like different. We, have a, we struggle with different in a lot of ways. But, you know, we're talking about here with, with people. This world has struggled too long with people that are different than you. It's the unity that Dr. King talked about that we are working towards. That's a big thing with me. So that's kind of where I see that hatred kind of falling in, that fear. You talk about, a you know, bully, Jason. I mean, you can be bullied so much that you you start to you fear them, but then you start to hate them. That you you get a, a power or strength yeah. in you that once you 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 start to retaliate, and you retaliate in in such a way that is wrong. Yeah. This world's done that. This is where we are at, people. We have been bullied in so many different ways that now it has is it has turned into now a retaliation that can turn into a war that could be very dangerous. That's what we're here to talk about. A couple things. You remind me of a movie that I like. I think it's called The Christmas Story or Christmas Story. <laughs> and the young boy who wanted the, uh, was it like a, a BB gun? Uh, I mm -hmm. can't remember. Maybe his yeah. name was Charlie or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and he was getting bullied and, and, and he lost it, right? And he jumps on top of that bully and, and lays into him. That's my favorite scene in the movie, right? Shameless. Because uh, uh, that's what we do, right? You get bullied enough, you snap, you right? You snap. I do want to touch on the dichotomy just a little bit mm -hmm. and, and then try to bring it back to the center. And I'm going to be frank, and this might cause me some 
some backlash, but I'm going to say it anyway. Whenever we go directly to Dr. King quotes, especially if it comes from a white voice or a mm-hmm. white space, those on one extreme would go, oh, you just pulling out Dr. King. You don't really know the whole story. And what we're trying to do is just kind of pacify the situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. for the listeners who who picked up on that right away, if you're listening, I just want to speak to that real quick. and. Yeah. And say, I think Dr. King was definitely a vessel. God, God used him. So I'm going to put in some spirituality here and say that Dr. King was was living the life, in my opinion, that Jesus taught. And, and I think the only way we solve this, this issue is through the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I think in this quote that you just uh, read and, and, and uh, shared with us, I hear an element of... What Jesus said, he teaches us to love love our enemies and, and love those who persecute you and treat you unfairly and unjustly and to turn the other cheek. And that's very controversial. That's really, really hard to do. Right. So I think his quotes would make sense to a lot of people that are believers. But those who aren't believers, when you start talking Dr. King, it just kind of it's kind of hard. Right. And, you know, there's a whole nother side to this. Uh, You think about Malcolm X and kind of the way he navigated all of this. I think, in my opinion, this may be controversial again, but I think God used Malcolm X as well and and other figures uh, that had an opposing view. And I think Malcolm X, at the end of his life, realized some things that Dr. King was teaching was was very valid and, right. and, and and he changed but i just had to mention that you know because i know some people are listening going oh the white guy is bringing out martin luther king already that's that's part of the challenge yeah. though right is yeah. is you go okay for people who are white they're trying to listen right right and they're saying but who do i listen to right. because it seems like a lot of the voices the black leadership voices it doesn't sound like they're on the same page. No, no. Yeah, and it's not. and it's hard to know. Okay, okay. So here's the here's the thing. This is what is driving me crazy right now. There are lots of people who they will dismiss the whole movement because they don't like what one person says right, or one right. faction says, and they're lumping everybody together. Right, right, and. They don't want to be treated that way themselves, but they're, that's what's happening. And right. I'm going, okay, wait, wait, we got time out, yeah. right? We got to stop that. But it is difficult to know who to listen to. Right. And so I'm out there looking, right? So this week I listened to the I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. I went on Black Lives Matter's webpage. I read an interview that Dr. Condoleezza Rice, she did an interview on Face the Nation last month. I read all of that. And then I read the eulogy that Reverend Sharpton performed at George Floyd's funeral. And what I hear may not be accurate, but what I hear are four pretty different voices. Mm -hmm. I will say that I do think Dr. Rice's voice and Dr. King's voice, at least in those two moments, in her Face the Nation interview and Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, I can see... A cohesion there, mm-hmm. but I don't see a lot of cohesion with between those two and what Al Sharpton is saying or what's on the Black Lives Matter page. I don't see that. And you guys, teach me, tell me. Yeah, I. So I got to start with this. There's a difference between being a, a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. I think uh, there was a minister here 
that preached a sermon on that, and it really resonated with me, right? And I think whenever you have conversations like this and you listen to various voices, that's really good, by the way. I'm glad you did that because it's important to take a 20,000-foot view and, and look at all the various voices. I mean, whenever you're doing research, you get as many sources as you can, and then you try to compile what everybody is saying into one thought. I hear what you're saying. It seems like these these four people or groups that you mentioned have have very different messages. I don't see it that way, though. Mm-hmm. I see there is a very, very similar message, and the similar message is justice for black lives in all of these quotes. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the, the thesis, that is the ultimate conclusion, and how you arrive at that place is where it differs. You know, the strategies you use to get to that place in these quotes tell us that there are some differences there. So somebody needs to pay the cost for taking their lives. Al Sharpton, when he did the funeral eulogy for George Floyd, I actually agree with that. I think that's trying to get us to the end goal, right? I think it was Nicodemus wasn't in the scripture when he when he wrongly took money from people. He said, I'm going to pay it back fourfold, right? And, and I thought that was powerful because he wronged somebody. And then he went above and beyond the call of duty to, to pay reprimands and to give back what he stole. Are you hinting at the fact that the Bible can support reparations? I, I, I think I, I Is think that what I you're might. saying? I think I, 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 think, oh. I, I think I might. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Coming up. <laughs> I, you know, I, I try to pivot to both sides, right? So uh, whenever you bring up Condoleezza Rice in the black community, that, that that's very controversial yes, as well. Yes, a is. lot of people don't care for her, right? But I think her sentiment is right. And I think she's trying to get to the ultimate conclusion of Al Sharpton as well. Uh, so I don't see them as opposing forces here. But I, I, I think if you listen to them and try to put all of them together, they, they will lead us ultimately to the same conclusion, I would hope. I would hope, right? Hopefully that helps a little bit. No, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. What I'm reminded of, uh, Jason, when you're talking, and it's hard to believe the chaplain would bring in the (laughs) idea of scripture. (laughs) I'm really glad you did, but uh, I think there's an important distinction that we hold between motive and method. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I agree with you in the four quotes that we have. Incidentally, Jared, we probably need to read the quotes. Uh, we're talking about them, and I don't know that the listening audience yeah, actually. Yeah, so what's happened here is uh, I have written four quotes on the board to fuel our conversation here. The first one comes from the Black Lives Matter webpage, and it says, to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. It's a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. The next quote I have on here is is from Reverend Sharpton speaking at uh, George Floyd's funeral here. This quote is, and I just pulled out these quotes just because to me they represented some diversity amongst the voices here that when I was doing my research. And this quote from Reverend Sharpton is, Lives like George will not matter until somebody pays the cost for taking their lives. Next quote is from Dr. Rice's interview on Face the Nation in June. It said, 
This is a time for every American to speak to our unity. And the last one comes from the I Have a Dream speech from Dr. King. He said, we must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. And so you put those four quotes side by side, and, and someone like me hears four different messages, four different tones, and Jason's saying, no, not quite. That's not what he hears. Yeah. Greg, what do you hear? I agree with Jason. I see a cohesiveness. And, and if, if you allow, can we take this first one, to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. And I would say in the field of health, in the field of anything that we do, whether dentist or doctor or therapist, counselor, you know, you're not going to go into the office sick and try to work on other people that are sick, mm, especially right. in these right. times, yeah. right? And COVID, mm -hmm. we're not going to go in with COVID and try to work on people that possibly don't have COVID, not thinking at all that we might spread this. I see that quote as we as a black community, we need to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves. That to me is a work that we need to do within our community because there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of healing to be done. There's a lot of togetherness that needs to happen just even with the black community, with black people. And so to desire freedom and justice for ourselves, it is time that we, in a way, come together to even stand up for ourselves. But that stand up, you have to, you have to be careful with that. I'm not saying to stand up and to, to fight and put down and to hate mm -hmm. and destroy mm -hmm. other groups. I'm saying that we need to take care of ourselves because if we can take care of ourselves and do what is also right, with us and by us and for us and stand up for what is right, we also now makes us more equipped, more able to also stand up for other groups and, and to do the right thing. I can see your point. I, I can see your point where it could be a divisive, it, it could sound somewhat divisive, but I, I don't think it's meant to be that way. I do think it's meant that saying, hey, we, we need to gather together as a, as a community and, and get better. We need to take care of, of ours, and therefore it better equips us to take care of ourselves. So just much like any doctor, any, anybody in any field, you know, as a coach, I can't go out and, and be a good coach if I don't, also take care, you know, part of the thing, I get up and run and lift and do things so that when I'm trying to work with my athletes, I have the stamina to put them through what they need to go through in order to get better. So for us to come together as a whole, we also need to take care of, of ourselves, I think. That's just a thought. So powerful. I was on the airplane uh, last night, and, you know, they go through the protocol. If we lose cabin pressure – you got to put your mask on first before you assist somebody else. And, mm -hmm. and I love what you said, because I think that's the uh, the quote. I'm going to go to the other side now, uh, yeah. just because I like to swing both yeah, sides. I love it. I love <laughs> it. If, if I'm a white man, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm a white man, 
and I hear Al Sharpton say that, I'm going, uh, pay? What do you mean pay? <laughs> what did I do? And what are you asking for? Right. So I'm putting my dukes up, going, oh, wait a wait a minute, right? There are a lot of white people saying that. Yeah, wait, yes. wait a minute. Me and, and, after me. Yeah. And I didn't I wasn't a part of that. I didn't do any of that. And I like black people. I have black friends. So what are you talking about? So <laughs> so so <laughs> so I get it. I mean I I, I I totally get it, right? I I have a friend, and we did a, a podcast not too long ago, and he was telling me how poor he he grew up, and whenever he hears the term white privilege, it chafes him because he's like, I didn't grow up privileged at all, right? And you're yeah. making me feel like I did something wrong when yeah, when yeah, I hear yeah. these statements, and that's why we gravitate toward the unity statements more because it's more vanilla. If I can use that term, it's, it's a little bit more right? It's like, Oh, unity. Yes. So I get why we gravitate towards those statements, but I think the real work actually starts with those hard statements. Yes. Right. Yes. That's where the real work begins. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Well, well said. And uh, let me throw this out to consider in the midst of, this discussion because there's something about communication. There's a um, tenet, if you will, about communication, and it, and it goes like this, that the receiver of the message defines the context. Mm. And so we have to remember that. And so Jared reads a quote from Black Lives Matter website, and he defines what it's meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Greg gives us another meaning. Jason gives us another meaning. I could do the same. I could right. I could give an, another meaning, and and that fact that that communication truth, if you will, is lost on most people. Mm-hmm. They're unaware that the receiver of the message always defines the context, mm-hmm. and that means how often will all of us be on the same page? Right. Well, we'll never be on the same page unless we put our own definition out there, put it on the table, have dialogue, talk about it, mm-hmm. and accept each other's interpretation of right. it as being, yeah, that's how I saw it, that's how I read it, that's how I – because now that that begins then to create space. In what I previously defined as meaning, I'm expanding it now. I'm creating space, mm-hmm. and the more space we create – the more opportunity that unity just happens that way. And so using these quotes, you know, in, in that way and talking about the different, you know, what, what we hear, what it looks like, I think it's really valuable. You know, the receiver is the one that defines that. You think about any relationship, it's true. I mean, if, if you talk with your spouse and your spouse says something, you're defining what they mean. Right. And you may or may not be right. Right. I mean, I mean, sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Right. But if you're never following up, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And we stay, we stay locked out of this idea of unity. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in because uh, we just had an example of that. We looked yeah, at absolutely a, looked at a quote yeah, and yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, we have all these interpretations. And I guess I'm saying that's normal. That's what people do. That's the only thing we can do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, with these messages. And what's stopped us short is 
that we're not talking about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, or saying, Jared, because you think that, and I think this, we can't work together. Yeah, we, we can't, can't get agree. along, brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this not going to work. And, and that's not necessarily true it is the call for more communication, not necessarily so he can just see it my way. Right. But that he can understand maybe even what it is that I'm seeing. And I can understand the same thing from him. And we can still, in spite of all that, still love each other. Yeah. Well, sure. And, and relationships have to work on that idea, idea. of collaboration. Absolutely. It's not competition. Mm-hmm. I'm not in competition with you over a thought, feeling, or a belief. Yeah. Right. Or an interpretation. Yeah. Absolutely. All of those things should go into this mix of collaboration. But that's not what it seems like is happening out there because right now, maybe I'm speaking more to my own self than what other people are, are actually perceiving. But what I am perceiving is that a big part of the racism discussion out there is, hey, we have to prove the other people wrong mm-hmm. and so we can validate our own position. And once they realize they're wrong, we'll all be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm saying that process. <laughs> that process it's is not going to work. No, that's a non-starter. And yeah, and yeah. that's why, and Greg, I, I loved what you guys just said because you know what i I probably never would have thought about those the statements on the Black Lives Matter page and the statement about from Al Shopton. I would not have thought about those from that perspective without talking to you. Right. Right. Without right, this right. this collaboration of the four of us sitting here talking together, I don't think I ever would have come to that understanding. Right. And it just reiterates our point that we have to talk. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk to each other face to face. Yes. You know, and yes. and listen and uh, man, that's just that's just awesome. So I've got a big smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I love what you said coach, because I think in counseling, you guys would say, or what I've learned anyway, is when a statement is made and you're listening, you're doing active listening, right? I I do know that term. Usually you respond back to the person, is this what you meant? This is what I'm hearing you say, is this what you meant? And we still have time to do that. I think about, I'm bringing back to scripture again, the chaplain in the house. (laughs) We call it hermeneutics, right? Where there's a statement in scripture and we can't go back and ask, uh, Paul, what did you mean by by the statement? (laughs) So we're forced to make a conclusion about it, right? right? And then we stick with it. The luxury that we have today is we still have these voices amongst us, right? So we can go and ask, what did you mean by this? Yes. And we're not taking advantage of that opportunity, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Where we can, I'm hearing you say this, is this what you're saying, right? right? Instead, we're just going, ah, this is what they meant, and this is what we're going to run with. Yeah. I'm just going to have to call Al Sharpie. Yeah, call him up. <laughs> call him up. Come, come be call a guest on our show, because I really don't I, understand I don't, I don't what understand, you're saying, brother. Right, yeah, right. I, don't, I don't know. So. Well, to, to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, that's why I think educators, you teachers out there, if you're listening, this is important. Yeah. Because if you can can create in your classroom, right, be it uh, probably virtual now, right, conversation where people can hear each other and ask the question, do the active listening, is this what you meant by this? Or this is what I'm hearing. Is that what you right. were saying? 
No, no, that 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 wasn't what I. But I can under. But I can understand now maybe why you heard that. Or tell me why did you? What what, what was it that made that you heard that made you think that way? You know, it just can create so much conversation that we did not see. This is all stuff that we did not do before. And I say we. You know, I wasn't really. I wasn't born until the seventies, but I I still lived through a lot. I don't think the conversation was had back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Now we're right back where we were. Now it's time to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's time to actively listen to each other. Let's do it differently this Let's time Let's do around. it differently. Yeah, yeah. And, and we go back to the bully. The bully doesn't want to listen. Right. The bully wants it his way. And you're right. The bully is not the majority in all this. The bully is the minority. But the bully has the the loudest voice to say so. But he does not want people to listen. You know, he wants things his way. And, and and there's 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 a lot of bullies. You know, I'm not saying one specific person, but there's there's a lot of bullies out there. But they're in the minority nonetheless. And so this is where the majority we can actively listen to each right, other. Right. And create yeah. change. And the opportunity to educate differently. Absolutely. Is right, I mean, right in front of us. And and what I mean by that, again, pulling these kind of discussions out of the arena of competition. Relationships are not competitive. Right. They are collaborative. Mm-hmm. And competition has its place, but it doesn't doesn't work across the board. Right. You know, and so yeah, you Again, and the and the either or, you know, the either or thinking is a competitive idea. Yeah, it's like okay, I've, we're looking at this same thing. We have two different opinions of it. Now, what do we do with that? Well, traditionally, at least in this culture, we we compete. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, stop it. Yeah, yeah. Why <laughs> don't compete? Yeah. Why can't we just say, hey, there's two opinions of the same idea? Right. Why, why can we not hold all of that together Yeah, in a collaboration? And if we start doing something like that, a lot of things may work out just by using a different method or educating differently. differently. You know, that, that makes me think in our educational system. Our educational system spend a lot of time, a lot of resources teaching kids how to compete, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot. Way too much. And – I love competition. I grew up playing sports. Clay, you coached sports forever and played sports. Greg played sports. Do you play sports too? Yeah. Okay, everybody played sports. And competitively so. But man, and when I'm when you guys are talking about education, I'm thinking how do we change? What would it be like if in our educational system we taught our kids to do what we're doing today and we said, "Hey, let's put kids together." Let's teach them to talk to each other. Let's teach them to listen to each other about complex subjects. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that on the table. If we're going to change our educational system to do something differently this time around, Mm -hmm. maybe we should think about the resources we put towards competition and start trying to put those towards collaboration and listening and understanding or something. I don't know. What what suggestions do you have? How how would you do it? I think you're right. I don't know how I would do it. I just speak to the problem more and I need to come up with better solutions, right? I think I might have said Nicodemus earlier, but I meant Zacchaeus. You know, I know the Roman system is different than our capitalistic system today, but <laughs> yeah, right. but this is dog eat 
dog, baby. This is every man for himself. This is America. Come on now. <laughs> Manifest destiny. I'm taking it all, right? And and yeah. that's the mentality right. in the mindset. And I don't know if you can change that. That's the scary thing to me, right? We keep talking about education. Education will help. Education will help. But if it's me versus you, I'm getting everything that I can, right? It's going to be me. And, and that's, what make, that's what made the story of Zacchaeus so, so powerful, right? right? So he had a heart change. And I hope through education that you can change hearts. That would be wonderful. But I still don't think you can change that survival of the fittest mentality except through the gospel. I, that's just me. So yeah. so the solution well, for no, me is the gospel. I, I would agree that uh, that love is the yeah. answer. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to get as general and as yeah. broad as yeah. we possibly can, love love is certainly the answer. But you bring up a point I started with earlier. That level of competition mm-hmm. is so deeply embedded yeah. into our civilization that I don't think we can ever get rid of that. And so I would propose that a way forward is not competing against the idea of competition. Right. Let's add to, let's keep adding to the discussion and to where collaboration just finds its rightful place. We must add to the scenario mm-hmm. and allow the additions to work some sort of mutated change. Mm-hmm. If we look at it like, okay, competition is a real problem in relationships. How do we remove competition? I agree with you, Jason. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. remove yeah. competition. We have to add so much more collaboration mm-hmm. that competition kind of finds its rightful place right. embedded in collaboration. Right. right. And you're right. This country is run by that theoretical underpinning of competition. Mm-hmm. And I say that also uh, keeps us stagnated on ideas of, of racism and other issues that polarize people. Mm-hmm. And so I know I get too theoretical, you know, and people would rather hear practical, right. concrete, let's do this, let's do this. And, and that's, I'm all for that too. But right. I, but if, if we don't occasionally address the underpinning, mm-hmm. then we have what, what I call first order change, first order, right, yeah. right, which right. which is a change that does not really make a change. Right. I'm after difference that makes a difference. Right. Yes. Right. That comes from including some of these underpinnings in our in our conversation. So good good stuff. Well, like you know, it. you can you can look at our country right now where we're going, and you can see this playing out because right now it is July, and November is coming mm-hmm. soon. Winter is coming. Yes. And people yeah. are thinking presidential race. Mm-hmm. That's the White Walkers. <laughs> <laughs> we, should do away with, we should do away with all politicians. Right? <laughs> and that's our show for today, gentlemen. <laughs> and our country, politicians talk all the time about uniting the country. Mm-hmm. And the whole process is divisive. Right. The whole process is divisive, and it's competitive. We want our way. We want to win. How are we going to unite people if we're just if we're starting from a divided process? Just no, no it, thanks. It, no thanks. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense at all. And no. the and and the main message is. But that's our culture. Right. 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 And the main message, and I don't. You know. 
I got to be careful. But the main message seems to be unemployment rates are, are really low. Job creation. This is, yeah, I mean, right. that is the driving narrative, right? Oh, the yeah. driving narrative. And if you follow and worship money. Yeah. It makes sense. But the collaboration thing is, is something that you hit on something there. Since the beginning of time, literally, right? Adam and Eve just trying to prove God wrong that nothing would happen right. if you ate of this fruit. Competition between Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. That there, it's it's literally the beginning of time. There, mm-hmm. why didn't Cain and Abel collaborate together to to as brothers, you know, and Adam and Eve as husband and wife, you know? So we're still having marital issues and brotherly issues. We can't collaborate. So there is something. There's something to that. But you, as you said, is very theoretical. We're grasping for something a little bit probably concrete if for lack of a better word but you're right that's first order that's first order change how do we collaborate together how do we say you know if i collaborate well i might have to give something up mm-hmm. that's not in our nature <laughs> that, no. you know what I, you know what i mean that's right. not in our in our nature I'm, I'm pointing at the chaplain here that's what christ asked us right. to do right to give up of yourself right. But we as a people, we don't want to do that. So what are we willing what are we willing to give in all of this? Well, see, that kind of goes back to my misunderstanding or, or I'm claiming it now as a misunderstanding. Right. Of the comment on the Black Lives Matter page, right? When it says to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite before we want the same for others, right? It's like, hey, we mm. got to take ours before we're willing for mm. you to have yours. Right. Good point. And, I, I, right? Yeah. right. No that's doubt. how we hear that. And then we go, okay, that's not Christ-like. Right. And now we're going to dismiss yeah. what they're saying because they're saying, hey, them them first, you know. Uh, and okay. that's totally not mm-hmm. how you hear it. Yeah. Right, right. It speaks to who we are, how we were. Yeah. Maybe not me either. I'm not claiming that thought. I'm blaming <laughs> But it's a good example. It's a really good example of what I'm talking about with complexity. Complexity is not the enemy. Complexity is just the fact. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's a fact of life. And so think about the communication. You read that statement and you define a meaning. The rest of us read that statement and define an, another meaning. That's how it's really supposed to be. We don't have to build a world with no complexity. Mm-hmm. We have to get used to the complexity, be willing to talk about it, and then this sacred unity transcends the complexity mm-hmm. and says, hey, we're it's okay. I, I understand more now of you know of what the people who put on the Black Lives Matter website, I, I okay. I see where they're coming from. I I get it. I heard it differently. Right. And those kind of connections that's what we have to strive for. Mm-hmm. We have to keep going. Maybe to get to kind of the practical side of it, because that's definitely the lane that, that I kind of function in. If competition is our MO, I know in the military what unites us is a common enemy. Who is the common 
enemy. And I don't know if that has been defined except during seasons of, of conflict, right? Like, yeah. you know, I hear from a lot of people, it's China, China, that's our, that, that's our enemy, right? <laughs> Some people are saying it's, no, it's racism, it's classism, it's right. this. So, so we don't even know who our enemy is right now mm-hmm. to unite alongside one another to fight, right? So maybe that's one of the things that we try to spell out. What, who, who is the enemy that we're fighting against? Mm. Like, you know... There's multiple here, but there's there's one. And Christians, we define it easy. We know right, what the enemy right, is, right? No but, doubt. Uh, I think a lot of people, we, we, we haven't defined it yet. So who are we fighting against? <laughs> yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah, it yeah. does make a difference. Big difference. It's a huge And adding to that, there are inherent advantages that go along with the majority. I mean, there just are inherent advantages. And I want to at least throw out there that, that, that we're not really talking about the inherent advantage of the majority that swings the vote or captures, you know, a decision. We're, we're talking about justice for all. Right. Justice for all cannot fall along any type of lines or paradigm of the majority or the minority that either or cannot exist you know in in the concept of of justice you know or or love and i think it's important to make sure people understand when you start talking about justice there's no majority right or right, minority right. and what's being brought to the people's attention is like no there's look there's there's injustice connected to the minority right and that's what we have to address yeah. again they're such they're highly charged emotional charged yeah. ideas right. and people hear accusations so fast that it thwarts our conversation well, we, and we see competition yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as you know in that first one just for ourselves as a we see it as opposed to yours right right yeah. and that's that either or yeah. underpinning right. that nobody either addresses or even realizes right. yeah. Yeah. i think they we just roll along with the conversation and nobody's nobody's i'm over here going oh wait yeah. we're trapped in this either or Be- conversation because for white or black you make that statement there i like those cartoons or whatever and you say something and question marks pop up on people's right. heads, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, a question mark would have popped up on everybody's head. I think it didn't matter white or black saying what exactly did, did he or she mean mm-hmm. by that? Yeah. That's the conversation, you know, there that we need to have because I don't see it as opposed to, I don't see it that way, but I, you might. And that, and that's, and that's no, no, okay. No. I'm blaming the other guy. Yeah, There you go. <laughs> and the other guy might, but, we need to have a conversation about that yeah. because it isn't just one or the other. You're right. You can't have that. Yeah. Questions are vitally important. Mm-hmm. So important because question drives the interaction and interaction builds the relationship. Right. And without a question, we've stopped short. We don't mm-hmm. have any of the following. And too many times I think people – will gravitate towards other people hold the same opinion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they don't have a question. They just sit over and talk about these other people. You being the chaplain, I'm throwing this out. (laughs) 
<laughs> things just come to my mind. When you, and you mentioned the fall, you know, back in the garden, and, and it always struck me, I was fascinated by this, that once in the creation story, that once the uh, forbidden fruit was partaken of, uh, incidentally, which brought, in my opinion, the birth of shame, mm-hmm. the birth of hiding, and the mm-hmm. birth of blame, you know, all of those things entered our picture there. But the Creator, it says in this story, the Creator was wandering through the garden, and he asks a question. That's fascinating to me that the all-knowing, omnipotent Creator, at least in the idea of many Christians, asks a question. Why? Why would an all-knowing entity ever ask a question? Question. That's how valuable the question is. And I say it is it is because it drives that. the interaction. Love that. The creator says, where are you? Like he doesn't know. <laughs> Duh. I mean, it's not for the answer. Right. It's for the interaction. That's how important questions are. Yeah. And when we come to a setting like this, we have to ask each other questions and run the risk, be transparent enough, be vulnerable enough, you know, face that discomfort that, you know, my question may sound really stupid, or my question may actually, you know, illuminate how little I've dug into this. Mm-hmm. But without without the question, none of this happens. And so, right. I, 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 you know, that's just that's good, man. That's, that's good. I'm using that. I'm stealing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stealing that. Hey, yeah. can I give a, a special shout out to two groups of people? Like, I'm I'm very pro. My community, very pro-black, very for erasing injustice. So I watched Hamilton mm-hmm. not too long ago. My wife made me watch it. <laughs> and man, I love it. It was amazing to me, right? But as I was doing my research, it led me to the plight of Native Americans, right? Oh my, mm, so yes. if I'm a Native American and I'm listening to these podcasts, I'm going, what a hold, yeah, hold yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, um. Or if I'm Hispanic right yes. now, I'm going, so so it has to be justice. I mean, it really has to be justice for, for, for all. all. It really does. And I'm so, so big on that. I mean, we can do a whole separate podcast on yes. the treatment of Native Americans. Yes. Yeah, and and being, well, being a member of the Cherokee yeah. Nation myself, it is, it is a different avenue mm-hmm. or a different method, you know, of racism. I guess it took a different. A little different track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it warrants some discussion, yeah. and I think not to cast more blame. Yeah, but to tell the whole story. Right, right. Yeah, tell the whole story. And so, look here. Here's a another way in which you know a minority, an indigenous minority, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who. <laughs> We were here a long time before anybody else came on the scene. And again, just maybe foreshadowing another another episode, but we weren't even counted worthy as slaves. Slaves, right? Uh, we didn't even make we didn't even make the cut for slaves. Right, right. And that's not that's not saying slavery is not a, an atrocity. Right, right. right. But I, I'm des- saying because a slavery, desirable position yeah. to be in, right? No, right. no, slavery is an atrocity, and we didn't even make that count, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, it's yeah. a it's a real discussion. Yeah, let's have it. <laughs> yeah, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> let's right. have it. Right? Yeah.
So we started our episode today asking the question, how do we talk about mutual responsibility? And it sounds like the answer is that we need to ask more questions. And those questions need to be in a spirit of collaboration rather than competition. Not so easy to do when we live in a competitive world and competition is so ingrained in us. But we have to find a way. We have to find a way because we are making so many mistakes right now. And we have been for a long time. And it is long past time to get ourselves out of this mindset that tells us that the other viewpoint is wrong. We just aren't going to get anywhere like that. And it's time. It is time for our country. It is time for our families. It is time for our children. It is time for everyone to get somewhere with this issue. And our position on this is that we think that the way to go about helping our problem with racism is to build relationships, build unity. But to build unity, we've got to be talking. And I'm thankful for guys like Greg and Jason and Clay who have been here and who are willing to have these kinds of conversations. They're willing to open themselves. They're willing to share their perspectives. They're willing to be a part of the conversation that is going to change our world. That's what it's going to take. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you listen today. I'm thankful that you want to be a part of this process too. I'm thankful you want to be part of what changes our world. And I hope you'll join us again. We're going to be back in the studio next week. We're going to be dropping another episode next week. But until then, come see us on Facebook. Come see us on Instagram. Come see us on InSessionPodcast.com. Leave us a comment about things that you'd like to hear about in the future. And we'll try to get them on the air for you. And tell your friends about us. Invite them to the table. Invite them to the conversation. We want to get the word out. We're on a mission to help build more unity in our world. We want you to be a part of it. We're thankful that you're a part of it. And we will see you next week on In Session with Jared and Clay.